Welcome to Maranatha Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Femi Fenoyo. We have joined a series that I've been doing on Maranatha YouTube teaching channel titled The Bible. We have joined the series at the beginning of another season, which we have titled The Story of the Whole Bible. Last teaching, we started looking at a very, very important question. That's the second question. This question is very, very important. It's the question of the original sin. That's what we started looking at because this question is foundational. This question is fundamental to the story of the whole Bible. So let's read Romans chapter 5. We are reading verse 12 and then we'll read verses 18 and 19. Wherefore, as by one man's sin, enter into the world and dead by sin and so death passed upon all men for all have sinned therefore as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to the condemnation even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous some someone defines original sin in this way and i'm going to read it this is from the uh the the book the institutes by calvin he said is the hereditary depravity and corruption of our nature diffused into all part of the soul which first make us liable to god's wrath then also bring forth in us those work which the scripture calls the works of the flesh. I mean, that is what we're reading in the book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. So I'll read that again. So I'm reading from the book, The Institutes by Calvin. This was his definition of the originals. And he said, it is the hereditary depravity and corruption of our nature diffused into all parts of the soul, which thoughts make us liable to God's wrath, then also bring forth in us those works which the scripture calls the works of of the flesh that is in Galatians chapter 5 verse 90 so we can see here there are four points that we could derive from this definition okay number one that the original sin originated with adam obviously and if number two that the original sin belongs to our nature as human number three that it is inherited and that number four it is universal sinfulness now these are the point that you will see as we started last week or last teaching i should say okay which was earlier this week really all right these are the various points that we can discuss the original sin on the, now henry blotcher we've 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 talked about henry blotcher in his book original sin, sin he put it succinctly and i'm going to read that for you okay so let us read from henry blotcher's book and it is from his book titled original sin his book titled Originals. And we've, we've been looking at a book of his called The Beginning, but this is another, another book of his, Original Sin. Henry said, the Christian doctrine of original sin is designed to deal with this threefold question. It tries to account for sin as a universal phenomenon and yet a matter of personal responsibility for it's being natural in a sense and yet contrary to our true nature, for it's being there even as we stand before God and under God. I will read that again. The Christian doctrine of original sin is designed to answer threefold questions. It tries to account for sin as a universal phenomenon and yet 
a matter of personal responsibility for his being natural in a sense and yet contrary to our true nature for his being there even as we stand before God and under God. You will see that what Henry said mirror a lot about what mirror a lot what Calvin also said. Henry was looking at this just a position. When we look at the original sin, so we are looking at the fact that sin is a universal phenomenon, but that does not excuse us from personal responsibility for our sin. And this is very, very important. Now, we said sin has become natural to our nature, but actually it is contrary to the nature, the true nature in which God created human. And that is very, very important. And also the fact that this sinful nature that we inherited actually makes us to stand accused before God. Just like um, Calvin said, he said, it first makes us liable to God's wrath. And then it generates in each one of us the works of the flesh. So last teaching, we acknowledge that the doctrine, this teaching, you know, doctrine is not a bad word. Doctrine essentially means teaching. That this teaching of original sin is contentious, is controversial, but it is biblical. We cannot shy away from it. We cannot avoid it because we want to be politically correct or because we want to be accepted. This teaching is biblical and it is fundamental to the story of the whole Bible. The, 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 the problem is not with the teaching. The problem is not with this doctrine. There are various reasons why we struggle with this doctrine of the original sin. Number one, we misunderstand this teaching completely. Sometimes we misunderstand it willfully because I believe that it is not anything difficult for us to understand. Yes, one of the reasons why we struggle with this doctrine, with this teaching of original sin, sometimes because we misunderstand it. Like I said, sometimes we do it willfully. Number two, oftentimes the problem is that the teaching does not line up with our postmodern ideologies. The, the, the teaching doesn't stack up with our ideologies and therefore we want to tinkle with it. We want to rub it out. We want to change it. We want to modify it. And finally... It does not fit our political correctness. And these are, these are some of the problems. These are some of the reasons why people have problems with this, with this teaching. But the core center of the doctrine of sin is this. I'm going over the same ground we have taken. It's because it's important to dig around this over and over and over again. So this is the core center of this teaching of original sin, that the sin of Adam affected them and their standing with God. But it also affected all their descendants after them. Okay, it affected them as a person, but it didn't stop there. It affected all his descendants after them. By the way, it affected the whole creation. The failure and the fall of Adam was the failure and the fall of all humanity. And all human were affected, all human were infected, all human were corrupted by that catastrophic, catastrophic event that we read in Genesis chapter 3. So when Adam fell, all human fell with him. When Adam fell, all human fell with him, and therefore all human needs saving. And this is a biblical revelation. This is a biblical truth, and there is no running away from it. Now, we need to understand it. We must understand it in the context of the, of the scripture, but it is there. So we cannot avoid it. We just need to make sure that we understand it in its biblical context. Now, here are some of the specific objections that people have 
against this teaching. Number one, they say it makes us responsible for an act that are committed before our birth. Is that not unjust? So if, if that is the case, doesn't that make me responsible for something that I didn't do? Is that just one objection? Two objections. It makes us responsible for the fault of Adam. Is that biblical? Is that not unbiblical? Number three, Jesus became human. Would he not have been affected if sin is universal? If everybody stand condemned because of Adam's sin and Jesus partook of that nature, would he not have been affected by the original sin too? And finally, is the doctrine not based on a wrong interpretation of Romans chapter 5 verse 12 by St. Augustine? These are some of the four objections that people raised. Whether it is just, whether it is biblical, how does that affect Jesus? And the fact that this doctrine has its root because St. Augustine was really pivotal in fleshing out this doctrine in in the Reformation, okay? Okay, we are talking about people, there's a lot of teaching in the scripture that people lost and that God brought it back again using individuals in the scripture, okay? And people then say that when you look at the writing of St. Augustus with respect to the original sin, his interpretation of Romans chapter 5 verse 12, was that not faulty? Okay, so we are going to look at some of these questions, we're going to take them together. We're going to look at various examples and look at this question to see whether we can answer them. So let's take some live example that can throw some light on some of these questions. Now, these examples are not perfect, but they will help us, okay? They are uh, just like the Lord Jesus Christ will give parables to answer questions. I think one of the best ways to answer this question is to look at real life issue and then see how that helps us. Number one, the state, situation, and condition of our parents determine at least at the beginning, both positively or negatively, those of their children. Now, nobody complain about that. You need to understand that the, the, the state, the situation, and condition in which a child is born is majorly and primarily determined by those of their parents. For example, you don't determine the color of your skin. You don't determine the culture into which you are born. You don't determine the class or the status into which you are born. You don't determine the country. You don't determine the state into which you are born into. You don't. You simply inherit all those things from your parent. And no child come out of the womb and say, but you didn't ask me which who my parents should be. You didn't ask me which culture I want to be born into. You didn't ask me which country I want to be, to be born into. By the reason of the fact that those people are your parents, particularly your mother, you automatically are born into the situation of your parent. If your parent were deported, for example, let's say your parent were deported, for example, from UK into Africa, for whatever reason, either good or bad, the that accident or that incident will affect the country in which you were born. And it will determine a whole lot of what happened to you after that. Let's say your mom was pregnant with you when she moved, when she relocated. Their decision and their action will affect where you were born and will affect a whole lot of things that will happen to you after that. You are not specifically being punished for the sin of your parent. But exactly because they are your parent, you enter into their experience. It's not a punishment. 
It's just that they are your parent. You are in them when they made that decision. Now, you may not like the decision they make. You may wish they've made a different decision. But the truth is that you will experience, you will be born into their experience because they are your parent. Now, 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 there are many of these situations you can then change by working hard, but there are some of these inheritance that you are stuck with for life and you will never be able to change it. For example, if you are born as a black man or a black woman, you will remain a black man or black woman. You can bleach your skin, you are still black. You can be a British, but you are black British. You can be an American, but you are a black American. You are still an African or Afro-Caribbean, whichever one. So some of these states, you may work hard and change them, but some of these things that we inherit and that will never change. Let's take another example, this time from the world of sport. Okay, remember we are looking at this objection to the case of original sin. World of sport, for example, there are individual sport and there are team sport. In individual sport, what you do or not do, anything you gain, anything you lose, your brilliance, your mistake, all of them only affect you. It only affects your chances. It only affects you. But that is not the case in a team sport. In fact, just before I came on, on, on this broadcast, on a Saturday like this, there's a lot of sport that is being played in Britain. Okay. And I checked the, the result. Okay, it's not the result, even though one or two people score, or even though the you know the keeper may make brilliant brilliant save and make mistakes all over the field, the result is ascribed to the whole team. So so whether all the teams are on the field, so when we are talking about a team sport, there are some team sport when all the members of the team are on the field at the same time. But there are some team sport where only individual member of the team will be on the plead field of play at a specific time. It doesn't matter whether all the members of the team are on the field are together or whether individual are on the field to represent the team at that time. It doesn't really matter. The most important thing is that if it is a team sport, what happens to one happens to all. For example, in football, if the keeper made a hero, maybe in some situation, the defense pass a simple ball back to the keeper, the keeper took his eyes off the ball or maybe he slipped, he missed the ball and the ball rolled into the net and it was a goal. It was the keeper's error, but the score is again against the whole team. It was the error of the keeper, <laughs> okay? But the goal is recorded against the, the whole team. You get the point. If somebody gets a red card, for example, or if somebody give away a cheap penalty or somebody gets a senseless red card, it may be the error of one person, but the whole team bears the punishment. That is not being mean. That is simply the rule of the game. It's not unjust. It's not being mean. It's not being wicked. That is the rule of the game. If you are in a team sport, not individual sport, if you are in a team sport, okay, the error of one, the punishment of that is shared by every single member of the team. Now, if somebody gets a red card, yes, that individual may be the only one that is sent off. But then the stress is upon the whole, the rest of the team because now they are down to 10 or whatever number they are down to. And now their chances of actually beating the opposite is greatly reduced. I mean, they can overcome that odd and it's, it's been done. But 
all the team experience the punishment eventually. Let us take one more example. This time from the way we run our government. And I think this is important. From the way we run our government. Okay. Now, in a democratic country like ours, we vote to elect representative into government, isn't it? We vote for our president. We vote for our prime minister. We vote for our the people in member member of the of the parliament or senate depending on which country you come from we vote for them we put them in that but after we vote for them and put them in office they in turn then take decisions on our behalf and this is the way democracy works we appoint we elect those people that then represent us and the thing is that the decision they make whether it is good whether it is bad whether it is evil whether it is wicked Many of those decisions have far-reaching consequences. Like when people go to war with other countries, but whatever decision they make, because they represent us, the decision they make, they make on our behalf. Their decision becomes our decision and it affects all of us, whether it is for good or for bad. Now, these examples are not perfect, but they are helpful. And this is the principle of a representative man. One for all and one in all. And it's a biblical principle, all right, that Adam was a federal head. Adam was a representative man, is the head of the whole creation. And what happened to him and what affected him affected his descendant. We also see that, we're going to see that, we've mentioned it, we also see that in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he also is the federal head of what the Bible called the new creation. And we are righteous because he is righteous. He's, and this is very, very important. Him who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we can become the righteousness of God in him. He is our righteousness. Why? Because he is a federal head. He is a representative head of the new creation. So what affected Adam, the first Adam, and what affected the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam, affected their descendant. Let's read first. Corinthians chapter 15, just to buttress that with respect to our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read verses 47 to 49. The first man is of the earth and is at it. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As it is hearty, such are they also that are earthy. And as in heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of what? The heavenly. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which I alluded to, verses 14, 15, and then 17. For the love of Christ constrained us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we are all dead, and that he died for us, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, is a new creature, all things have passed away and all things have become new. Now, I'm not going to go deeply talking about how this play out in the New Testament. All I'm trying to let us see here is the principle why what affected one person can then affect the rest. It is not God being unjust. It is just the rule of the game. We see this same principle, this same principle of a representative man, that what happened to one person will affect the rest. We see that same principle in the story of David and Goliath. You remember the story of David and Goliath? Goliath says something that is really very, very uh, instructive. First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 17, verses 8 and 9, 
and he stood. This is Goliath. I want you to pay attention to what Goliath said. Let me put that back again. First Samuel chapter 17, verses 8 and 9. And he stood Goliath and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not, am not I a Philistine and you servant to Saul? Choose you a man from among you and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servant and serve us. Again, we can go into that story a lot, but you can see. And the children of Israel didn't say, no, we are not going to take that deal. They didn't contest that deal. In fact, they ended up sending David to represent their nation. And this is the nation of, I mean, this is the, this is the same concept of one person standing on behalf of a whole nation. Okay, they finally sent David out. And what, did, did, what Goliath was saying here is, I am representing the Palestine. You give me your representative, we fight. And whatever the result between us will be attributed to the whole nation. If, you, if I defeat him, then you'll be our servant. If he defeat me, then we'll be your servant. And this is the concept that we see throughout the whole scripture. Now contrast this. Contrast what happened to Adam when Adam sinned. Contrast that to what happened to Lucifer when Lucifer sinned. When Lucifer sinned, his sin did not automatically affect all other angels. Why? Because he was not their federal head. His sin did not automatically affect all the other angels because he was not their representative. Individual angels then became tainted, then became affected by Lucifer's sin as they individually agreed with and followed Satan in his rebellion. As individually they were deceived by Satan and they followed him in his rebellion. That is when each of them then become a partaker of Satan's sin. And you can see, and this is the reason why, this is the reason why it is possible that something that Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden will affect their children after them. It is not unjust. It is not wicked. It is just the principle of life. And it is important for us to understand that. I'm going to stop here. There's still a little, we're still going to go a little bit deeper into answering some of this question, but I've tried to answer one I think the two first question, okay? But I'm still going to, I'm still going to go a little bit deeper into answer that question the next time. And if you are listening to me, all have seen and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, not only the original sin, but we are individually sinners because we have a sinful nature. We are also are individually sin. We have sinned against God, but God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You can come to the Lord Jesus Christ today so that you don't become a partaker of the wrath of God. God has provided a way out because he loves us. And you can come, admit that you are a sinner, invite Jesus Christ into your life to save you. He will come. He will change something fundamental in your heart. You will become a child, a daughter of God. And when this is all over, you will spend eternity with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Do it today because tomorrow may be too late. We sincerely invite you to check out our teachings on YouTube Maranatha Teaching Channel. They will bless you. Thank you.